If you haven't been here, it, who, who knows me? Raise your hand. Then you better teach your neighbor that they need to talk. I wish this would go higher. I'm tall, if you couldn't tell. I, I apologize. But let me, while you're turning to Hebrews 10, you already know where we're going. Um, I want to thank some folks. Um, thank the leadership. If you can't, that's fine. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Pastors Jordan and Spencer. Uh, and, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you a, a, a funny ha-ha story. So at the beginning of the year, I shared this with Corey. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I was supposed to study Hebrew. And I didn't. <laughs> and on May the 10th, I get a text message from Pastor Justin at Love Chapel Hill wants me to preach for him after district conference, which was last month, end of last month in July. And I agreed, and, he, and I said, well, do you have a theme? What's going on this summer? Hebrews. I want you to preach from Hebrews. <laughs> on May the 11th, did I say it was May the 10th that Pastor Justin contacted me? On May the 11th, Pastor Spencer sends me a text message. Hey, we're going to be on sabbatical. Can you preach? Sure. What's the date? Sure, I, I'm open. What are you doing, Hebrews? <laughs> the point is that God will have his way in your life. Even if you, this is a word now, even if you refuse to do what he has told you to do, he will have his way. His will will be done. So I can guarantee you since May, I've been studying Hebrews. <laughs> And I've read every chapter multiple times. As a matter of fact, I rewrote Hebrews in a journal. I've started to do that this summer. That's a, it, and I'm going to share that. I, I wasn't going to share that, but I'm going to share that now because it's a way to understand the Bible. It's a way to really get the Bible. And you don't have to do but 10 verses a day. Like it's not do the whole book of Genesis, right, <laughs> in one day. It's get a little bit in you every day. And by rewriting it, for those of us who use computers all day long, like me, we've lost the art of writing in a lot of ways, right? And you got to work those muscles anyway. So you're getting the work of the muscles of your hand, but you're also working the muscles of your mind and your spirit and your heart when you actually rewrite God's word. And then, listen to this, all right? You can pass it down from generation to generation. And you can go one step further. I write on the right side of the journal and take notes on the left. So now I've created my own commentary that I can pass down to someone else. We need the word. Uh, Y'all didn't. Somebody over here said it, but we need the word. And if we don't have the word, what do we have? Nothing. Nothing. So let me share with you a couple other things before I read uh, these verses uh, on an update. So I was here in December, and, and I haven't seen y'all since December, so I'm sorry. I should probably come over here more. I apologize, but I've been a little bit busy. So last week, a semi hit me. <laughs> and I'm here to talk about it. And it barely even hit me. It didn't even knock me off the side of the road. I pulled out. It was a hit and run. So instead of chasing him, 
I pulled over because I thought I needed to assess the damage, so I did. And I was on my way to Raleigh, so once I assessed the damage, I went to Starbucks, got a cup of coffee, went to Raleigh, did what I was supposed to do, and came back that day. I've got $3,000 worth of damage, and you could barely tell it. You got to really go up to my truck and actually see it. But my point in telling you that is the Lord's anointed are protected. And you will not leave this earth until your assignment is completed. Because he will perform, right, in you until the day of Jesus Christ. He will get it done in you. And so we are protected, and God protected me last week. Thank you, Jesus. I will also rewind the clock and tell you this, is that in April, I buried my abuser. And so I'm from the state of Arkansas. That's where I grew up. So I flew back to Arkansas to bury my stepfather, who had tormented me for 40 years. Couldn't, I couldn't stay in the same house. I couldn't. It's just a lot of stuff I couldn't do mentally, right, to stay away from him. So we buried him, my brother and I, and got through the week. It was great. I saw some friends. I, everything was good. And then I got back home, and something happened to me. I didn't want to call it grief, and I still don't want to call it grief, but something happened, and a cloud of depression came over me. And it was so bad that I thought about checking myself into a facility. That's how bad it was. I never experienced it, that kind of turmoil in my life. So even when I couldn't pray, so I went out to a few people, and I told them, I said, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I need help. I need help. And I was in between therapists. Now listen, I'm one that believes you ought to call on Jesus and call your therapist. And if you don't have a therapist, you need to get one today. So I called on friends. I, I was in between therapists. And so I called on my friend who's a therapist. Of course, she's always accommodating, right? And she helped me. I had a few people walking with me through the funeral. And they helped me, three people in particular. And in about a week and a half, it lifted. Thanks be to God. But when you're going through something, see, this is why God made us to be in community. Because when you're going through something, the more isolated you are, and there's probably some, I, I feel the Holy Ghost, there's probably some isolated people in here now. But the more isolated you are, the more you're in trouble. That's dangerous to be isolated. You must reach out to your community. You, not everybody has the guts to tell their business on YouTube like I do, right? And that's fine, but I tell it so that you can be healed, set free, and delivered. I'm already healed, set free, and delivered from it. Thank you, Jesus. But you must talk to somebody if you, in, I feel this really strongly, if you are in trouble today, talk to somebody, talk to me. People come to me all the time at the altar or, listen, I was resting yesterday and I had text messages, pray for me, call me, do this. And that's fine. And whatever you tell me, I'll never tell anybody unless you're about to hurt yourself. But tell somebody, talk to someone about your issues because you cannot go through it by yourself. You should not, you were not created to go through it alone. Somebody give God praise. I said, give God praise, not me. 
Amen. Would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? I'm going to read 18 verses because we need all of them. The first 18 verses of Hebrews. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every, every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings, and have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does, oh, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will he have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take sins away. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. My emphasis verse is verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Let's pray before you sit. Father, we give you honor, we give you glory, and we give you praise. We thank you for who you are and not just for what you do. And so empower us today, God. Give us a word straight from heaven in the name of Jesus. Illuminate your word. Help us, God, Jehovah Ebenezer. Help us. You are our God. You are our Father. You are our everything, Lord. And as we lift you up in this place, God, would you be at our homes healing, setting free, and delivering, and saving lives, God, in Jesus' name. We thank you for your protection. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And so, God, help us to respond to your word in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. My subject today is actually a question. Sin conscious or God conscious? Sin conscious or God conscious? I want to just re maybe repeat some things that you've already learned. So don't roll your eyes at me if you've already learned this. But let's talk about Hebrews a little bit, right? 
this is me. I'm a I'm an expository preacher, so I'm stay close to the text. Not gonna tell any stories. Hebrews was written to exhort or encourage believers who were discouraged. Right? Somebody's probably already taught you that. He wanted them to persevere, knowing God is faithful. Same now as then, Hebrews speaks to us as people who seem far removed from the kingdom of God. Hebrews gives a history of Israel, wilderness wandering, sanctuary, worship images. And the author portrays Jesus in terms of Old Testament imagery. There are some themes in Hebrews. Atonement, confession, new covenant, perfection, priesthood, Promises, sacrifice, wandering, the word of God, perseverance, the humanity and humility of Christ and the superiority or supremacy of Christ, etc. There are six foundational truths or doctrines in Hebrews. Repentance, faith, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and baptisms. And there are five warnings in Hebrews, chapter 2, the danger of drifting, chapters 3 to 4, the danger of not resting and disbelieving, chapters 5, 11 through 620, the danger of not maturing and falling away, chapter 10, 26 through 31, the danger of willful sin, and we'll stay away from that today, and chapter 12, 25 through 29, the danger of denial. In this big text, Hebrews 7 through 10, 18, is the high priestly ministry of Jesus section. You already know this, right? Chapter 7, it says that he was similar to Melchizedek. Chapters 8 through 9 is a single personal sacrifice for sins. It was perfect. And in my text, chapter 10, 1 through 18, is the achievement of eternal salvation. So the priestly ministry was a huge part of the old covenant. And the writer of Hebrews had to show the people that Jesus's superiority was to all of it. New covenant is superior to old covenant. I think I want to take a sidebar right there. Your theme this summer is the superiority of Jesus. Now, as I was thinking about this this morning, I don't know why this came to my mind. Jesus is superior than hip-hop. Jesus is more superior than Beyonce. Beyonce talks about idols in her music. I don't listen to her. Jesus is more superior than Moses. Jesus is superior to the tabernacle. Jesus is superior to anybody in your life. Jesus is more superior than the church, than the word, than this building. Jesus is more superior. We've got to get that in our heads before I even to talk about sin consciousness and God consciousness. We've got to know that Jesus is superior to anything that you could imagine, anything that you could do. And sometimes we walk around as Christians and we don't believe it. We choose other things over Jesus to make us feel good. But Jesus is more superior than sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He is. 
And if you've ever tried any of those things like I have, they cannot satisfy you. Only through Jesus can you be satisfied. Only with Jesus can you live a life that's good. Only through Jesus can you have good. There is no other good. I had to argue this with a pastor not too long ago. Well, we try to tell our people in our congregation about good. Well, I said, well, if you're not teaching about Jesus, you're not teaching them good. Jesus is good. Jesus is superior than my car. I have a deal with cars. I really like cars a lot. Jesus is more superior than your money, than your job, than your friends, than your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Jesus is more superior. And we should love and cherish and worship him above all else. But sometimes we worship things instead of God. Somebody ought to say amen. Come on, just admit it. Just admit it. Let's just be transparent. We worship money, jobs, people more than we worship Jesus. But let's change that because that's your theme this summer is the superiority of Jesus. And if we can't get anything else, we must get that. Before you move on to anything else, when Spencer and Jordan come back, you must get the superiority of Jesus. He is the supreme. <laughs> he is our all in all. He's everything to us. Yes, we need each other. But if we don't have Jesus, oof, we don't have anything. One author says this, Jesus' priesthood brings the believer into full acceptance with God, something that the former priesthood could not do. Another author kind of labels, and I was going to do slides, but I hated them, so I threw them away. Um, <laughs> as an outline in chapters 8 through 10, 18, uh, he's got some, some things in here. It says there's a preamble that Jesus is high priest, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and then it moves on to Jesus' ministry is better than the earthly ministry. Earthly ministry is only a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. And then if the first covenant was faultless, then there was no need for another covenant. Right? And it goes on to there were two tabernacles. Compared two tabernacles in chapter 8. Compared uh, two kinds of blood in chapter 9. Compared two kinds of sacrifice. Right? Uh, even in, in my chapter here, and the final comparison regarding the removal of sins here in the chapter. So in my text, I believe there are three themes. So follow along. Write this down if you're taking notes. The first one is sacrifices, bulls slash bulls and goats. And here are where you see this in this text. So follow along. In verse 1, talks about for since the law was but a shadow and a good uh, of good things to come and then at the end by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near verse three in these sacrifices there's a, a reminder of sins every year verse four it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats you see that the B part of verse 5, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. And then verse 6, in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then verse 11, and every priest sins daily, stands daily at his service, 
offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take sins away. So theme number one, sacrifices, bulls and goats. So let's talk about this sacrificial system, right, of the Old Testament. Burnt offering or ascension offering, that's one of them. The burnt offering or the ascension offering. It's the word ola, O-L-A-H in Hebrew. It was offered morning and evening. The whole animal was offered up. And in Leviticus 9, the glory cloud came up on the altar and lit the fire for the offering and the smoke would rise up to heaven as a sweet savor unto the Lord. For us, Romans 12 tells us to offer what? Our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Offer our bodies, not the bulls and the goats. Offer our bodies, not to be burned on a stake. Offer our bodies, the way we live, the way we think, the things we do. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. That's that's the uh, interpretation for us, right? So burnt offering. The second offering is a grain offering or gift offering. First fruits offering of grain, fruits, or vegetables. Remember Cain in Genesis 4? Remember him. First fruits offering. What would that be for us? Somebody say it out loud. Yes, a tithe, money, right? Could be money, could be something that the church needed. If we lived in an agricultural uh, place, like in a rural place, it could be literally cows and chickens and or what have you, right? If you needed to share that with your neighbor or bring that to the church for people who didn't have food, you could do that, right? So for us, we give money, right? Money will buy chickens and <laughs> whatever we need, right? Fellowship or peace offering, that's number three. Fellowship or priest offering, peace, excuse me, offering, comes from the root word shalom. Not the absence of strife, but, but all is well. Harmony, it's all good. Presenter keeps part of the meat, shares some with the priests, then gives to the orphans and widows and throws a huge party for the family. That sounds fun. I like parties. When was the last time we made peace among our neighbors? Go throw a party in your neighborhood. Wouldn't that be fun? Relationships matter to God. Now, my neighbors hate each other, (laughs) but they love me. And so they'll call me over. We was fighting the other day. We had a leaf part, leaf fight. They had a leaf fight one day. They said, did you not hear it? I said, no, I didn't. I was asleep. Well, last night we had a leaf fight. We was, they was blowing leaves and, and they was mad and cussing each other because the cars was in the way. And this and I said, I don't want to hear it. I said, I'm just going to pray. Thank you. Thank you, preacher. They call me preacher. Thank you, preacher. I wish I could have a, a neighborhood party, right? A block party with my neighbors. But I don't think they would come because they don't like each other. But if your neighbors like each other, right, and you can do it, have a block party. If you live in an apartment complex, have a party in your complex. Show your neighbors peace. We should be peace. What, 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 what should we do? Make peace or keep peace? Make. There's a difference. Because sometimes when we try to keep the peace, it falls apart. But we should make peace. Do that with your neighbors. Next is the sin or purification offering. 
and it means to purify from sin's effects. And the last one is the guilt offering. This is when you repay someone who you do wrong. When we wrong others, we also wrong God. They would also add a fifth of the value of the thing they were repaying and pay it to the temple. For us, restitution can still happen in today's times. Now, this was an imperfect system. They, we, needed a perfect sacrifice. The second theme in, in this text of Scripture is Christ's ultimate sacrifice. That there's no other offering needed. Jesus is enough. There'll never be another sacrifice. And you can find that in verses 9, 10, 12 through 18. 9, 10, 12 through 18. Jesus, I'm going to say it again, is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua, to the temple, to the rituals, to the sacrifices, to the Levitical priests. It's interesting that the sacrifices and all the, the, the rigmarole, right, that they did in the temple, all of those things were supposed to point to God. But then the priest started pointing to themselves. That sounds like 21st century. That all of the things, all of the rituals were supposed to point to God. But then the priests started taking stuff for themselves, started pointing to themselves and making themselves bigger than God and the temple and, and all the sacrifices and all of that. We have to fight against that. Man, we have to, I'm telling you, I've seen so much stuff. Listen, you have to, you have to understand the times. The tribe of Issachar understood the times. You must see the signs. I'm going to give you some. You must see the signs. I've heard some, some of the most ridiculous things over the last two weeks that people of God are doing. And I work with some people that do some ridiculous things. Lie. Cheat. Still, probably, I haven't seen that, but are racists, are sexists, and any other is, is ism you can call it. And sometimes it's been more difficult for me to work with Christians than it is to work with sinners. And I, over the last couple of weeks, I've heard the most ridiculous stuff. I'm not going to repeat some of it, but it really is ridiculous. Like, and so I had a conversation with someone yesterday, and I said, we always say the church is starting to look like the world. But I'm not so sure that's true because the world sometimes looks better than the church. Because in the world, sometimes they treat us better than we treat ourselves or than we treat the, wor the, the world. And I've seen some ridiculous stuff that has happened. But listen, signs of the times, you know, we just talked about the wildfires. Yes, give if you can give to Maui. I, I've done that. I, I have a friend who's in Hawaii and she pastors a church on the Big Island, but she's got people who've got people on, on Maui. And a 90, she told me a 92-year-old woman was treading water for eight hours before someone came to rescue her. But give God glory because she could do it. I don't know that I could, and I'm not 92. So give. That's a sign of the time. Are you watching it? There's leprosy in Central Florida. Yes, the leprosy that we read about in the Bible 
the leprosy that I've preached <laughs> and used as a metaphor for sin, and I preached it to some middle school and high school kids one day and showed them this horrific picture of a man with Hansen's disease with his digits falling off to try to trick them into not sinning. That leprosy that we've only read about in the Bible is in central Florida and growing. A sign of the time. So what am I saying, preacher? What are you saying? That we need to tell people about Jesus. That time is running short. I know you got goals and dreams and aspirations. I got them too. I'm a, I'm a goal setter. I'm a person that always have goals. I'm, I'm a very ambitious person. But listen, Jesus is coming back to this place soon. And I'm not just saying that. And I'm certainly not saying it to scare you because I'm happy that he's coming back soon. <laughs> but we need people to know Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, listen, there is a heaven and a hell. And hell is where they'll spend eternity. I don't want people to do that. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus doesn't want people to do that. He's not sending them to hell. We're sending ourselves there. People need to know about Jesus in, in your classrooms, on your job, at Walmart, wherever you go, in the park. People need to know about Jesus. You need to stop. Listen, you need to make a note to yourself that today, tomorrow, let's start tomorrow. Tomorrow, when I get up, wherever I'm going, I'm going to go to the gas station and I'm going to introduce somebody to Jesus. I'm going to go to Walmart, I'm going to go to the grocery store, and I'm going to introduce somebody to Jesus. Uh, somebody I'm mentoring told me the other day, he got kicked out of Chipotle. I said, good. Because somebody started cussing him because he was talking about Jesus. Good. Because we're supposed to be persecuted. Jesus said we'd be persecuted. I, I say if your life is hunky-dory, and oh, everything's going so great. I would dare ask if you're in the enemy's camp. Because Jesus said it would be hard for us. It's hard. It's never meant to be easy. But with him, he makes it easy because he protects us and he gives us the words to say. People need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus. We have been sanctified by the sacrifice of Jesus. He did the Father's will. Jesus' sacrifice fulfilled the Old Testament. Jesus' sacrifice allowed us to enter his throne room as worshipers and disciples. One single offering, not daily, not yearly, one for all time. The laws are now written on our hearts. We know right from wrong. Don't, don't you say you don't, because kids know right from wrong. One-year-olds know right from wrong. Newborns know right from wrong. It's crazy. When my nephew was born... He would pretend like he was asleep. I was like, he's like five days old or something. I mean, I went to go visit him. He's just a few months old, literally. And I, he would, and I would walk out of the room and go in the kitchen with his mom. And I'd look back, and he'd be up, like, like smiling like he was, faking like he was asleep. Sleep. They know. We know right from wrong. Without memorizing a bunch of laws or rules, we know right from wrong. I probably couldn't pass a driving test right now. I don't know all this, I don't know all the signs and all that stuff, right? Like, I don't, but I know right from wrong. 
I know to stop at the stop signs. I know to not speed, even though I speed five over. But I know if I get stopped, I'm not going to complain because I knew what I was doing. I know right from wrong. You know right from wrong. But thank God he remembers our sins no more. We have forgiveness, so we no longer need another offering for sin. The third theme is my title, sin conscious or God conscious. And you can find that in verse two. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? I want you to take one moment. You can close your eyes to do this if you want, but we're only going to spend a moment because we're going to flip the page to think about the grievous, intentional sins of your past. Take a moment. Now open your eyes and stand to your feet. Come on, stand up, because I need y'all to move. I need you to pretend you're at a football game or something, because I know y'all not this quiet. And I want you to celebrate the fact that everything that you just thought of got finished on the cross when you accepted Jesus as your Savior it is finished. I want you to celebrate that. Because I don't know if you believe it or not. I don't know if you accept it or not. I don't know if you believe it or not. You can sit down when you want to, but I don't know if you accept it or not or believe it or not. But in one fell swoop, all that bad stuff I did, gone. Tossed into the sea. Gone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had, had left a crimson stain, but he washed it, the songwriter said. White as, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I, see, I'm, I'm remembering my sins now, so they're terrible. So I get happy when I think about <laughs> the songwriter says what he's done for me. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. Because I was a sinner, a sinner, a wretch undone. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you. Listen, let me tell you something else. He loved you more than you can love yourself. He loved you more than anyone else can love you. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm, I'm just quoting songs here. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places because all you got to do is look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you'll see yourself because he paid it all. God, he paid it all in one fell swoop. Thank you, Jesus. I get excited. I get excited. The sacrifice on the cross. The Day of Atonement reminded Israel yearly of their sins. Listen now, yearly they had to remember their sins. But we need not be reminded. <laughs> 
Jesus' sacrifice cleansed our consciousness from guilt. So let's be God conscious and not sin conscious. So let's talk about how we can do that. If you're sin conscious, you worry about sinning all the time. If you're God conscious, you focus on and you focus on being grateful for Jesus' sacrifice. If you're sin conscious, you're hard on yourself when you do something wrong. That's self-condemnation. If you're God conscious, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, Romans tells us. Romans 8, the granddaddy of them all. If you're sin conscious, you worry about other sins all the time. God, listen, listen, God never called us to rebuke sinners. Read your Bible. God called us to rebuke saints. We are supposed to rebuke us. We are not supposed to hold up signs outside of church and tell people they're going to hell. We are supposed to love people. We are commanded to love God, love people like we love ourselves, and to treat others like we've been treated, not like, excuse me, treat others like we want to be treated, not like we've been treated. And that's hard. That's one of the hardest ones. God has been dealing with me that, with that this year. Treat people like you want to be treated, not like you've been treated. I'm a black female. I've been treated bad in my life. I'm just going to put it out there. But I've got to treat others like I want to be treated, and I really try to do that. And that means your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you know, I know those little tricks, but I'm not going to call him because he didn't call me. <laughs> well, you mad because he didn't call you, so then you're going to turn around and do the same thing that he did to you. Sin conscious versus God conscious. Sin conscious. Again, worrying about other sins, right? God conscious is obeying his commands. Having love, joy, peace, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those, the fruit of the Spirit, Ten Commandments, loving God, loving people, treating people right. Sin conscious is constantly trying to fit in, to do right on your own without God. People are looking for the good without God, and they cannot find it. Sin conscious is avoiding worldly things that might cause you to sin instead of praying, fasting, reading God's word, and having faith in God. Sin conscious is being creepy around others in order not to sin. Instead, let's not worry. Less worry, more God. Sin conscious is trying to find the good without God. Instead, we should be finding Sabbath rest in him daily. <laughs> Hebrews, Sabbath rest. Jesus, no guilt, no shame. That's God conscious. Sin conscious is a feeling of always needing to be forgiven. I think we should repent daily, but, not, but we've already been forgiven. <laughs> God conscious is we are holy because Jesus made us holy. Sin conscious is thinking you are a sinner. Being God conscious is thinking you are a saint. Don't think you're a sinner when you are really a saint. When we are God conscious, we sin less. 
We don't focus on our shortcomings, but on his glory and his reign in our lives to make us right. We are right with him because he made us right. We did not do it ourselves. His sacrifice made us holy and acceptable and righteous and sanctified. And we are being perfected or sanctified each and every day. One author says those trusting in his sacrifice need not have a troubled conscience and can be absolutely assured of God's eternal forgiveness of their sins. Are we trouble, troubled about salvation? Do you have an assurance? Our spirits testify with Holy Spirit that we are children of God. What's it going to take you to focus on being God conscious versus being sin conscious? Would you stand with me? I want you to close your eyes again as I hear what God wants me to do in this moment. There's some of you in here who are sin conscious. And I believe there's some of you here who have not accepted Jesus. And it's time to do so. Because time is running short.